Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. Welcome to the podcast. It's episode 425 for September 28th, 2021. Our guest today, again, is Katie Anderson. She is, of course, author of the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. We have a fun conversation lined up today. We'll get right to it in a second. Uh, for show notes, links, and more, you can go to leanblog.org slash 425. Joining us today, I believe it is her seventh time as a guest, is Katie Anderson. Katie, how are you? I'm great, Mark, and I'm thrilled for Lucky 7 to continue our conversations. We'll see. We'll learn how superstitious you are someday if we're getting if we're getting to episode 13, you know, in a couple of years. Ooh, or... <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just jump, right, jump right ahead. <laughs> but um, Katie, you, uh, you, know, you probably, as listeners, know her as I do from uh, the Lean community. Katie is a leadership coach. You can find more about her work at her website, kbjanderson.com. Uh, her book that she authored is just over a year old. It is, again, it is Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, Lessons from Toyota Leader Asao Yoshino on a Lifetime of Continuous Learning. I'll put links to past episodes in the show notes. And there was a really fun episode that we did together, Katie and I, with Mr. Yoshino on the My Favorite Mistake podcast. So if you've missed that, that I think is a must listen. Um, the book is available, has been available as a book and a paperback for just over a year and the audiobook is yeah. now available. So um, we'll check that out. But Katie and I, we're, we're, we've planned, we've sketched out like a, a conversation that has a, a few agenda points. So to give a bit of a preview, we are going to talk about um, something that Katie has been teaching and emphasizing, and I think is really important about breaking the telling habit. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some recent findings of hers using um, some I was about to, yeah, I can say I love this methodology, process behavior charts in the wild in an interesting setting. And then we're also going to talk about um, something she's offering that starts real soon called the Leading to Learn Accelerator. So I said I wasn't going to give much of an introduction. I've been talking a lot. So let me just turn it over to you, Katie, um, to hear your thoughts, you know, kind of the high level on, you know, getting away from telling. What what does that mean? Why is that so important to break this habit? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not that telling is wrong. We actually need to advocate for ideas, share our perspective, set a direction if we're in a leadership uh, role but it's that we have an imbalance in our habits. So we just over practice telling and we forget to ask more. So we are forgetting to be curious, to lead with inquiry. And one of the biggest things that I find is a disconnect for people is that they want to help others learn and develop and, you know, solve problems. Yet we don't even realize sometimes that we're either telling in disguise by asking leading questions, or we're just under so much pressure that it feels easier to tell in the moment. But then we're sort of self-creating this experience where we're, people are expected to look to us for all the answers and not developing their own capability and confidence for that too. And so if we can get better at balancing that, equi that equation between the continuum between telling and asking, we're going to be more effective at solving more problems and not having the burden all on us as well. 
So there's a lot to unpack and, and, and dig into there around that topic. It's always good to get that reminder um, because, you know, the first, first thing I'll just kind of bounce back at you when you say, you know, it, it, it's this habit. You know, what, what I've learned from the study of a field called motivational interviewing that we've talked about sometimes on the, on the podcast with different guests, there, there's this term that they call the writing reflex, not writing like writing a blog post or a book, Neither. but R-I-G-H-T, writing reflex that is very much a part of human nature. I'm curious if, if you've got some thoughts on that idea of it's not a, even a habit that we've picked up. It may be somewhat innate. Can you tell me more of how they describe, like, how do they define this writing um, habit, reflex? It, it, it's a different way, I think, of, of describing telling. Let's mm -hmm. say whether it's a counselor, um, you know, telling the patient what behavior changes they should make in their life or in the workplace, uh, a leader telling the managers, you know, you're, you're trying to correct some situation. And as a counselor or a leader or, an, mm. or as an executive, you may feel like, well, look, I've got experience and training and I have the answer. I'll just tell them what to do. Yeah. It'll be so, right. It'll be, it'll be efficient, quote unquote. Well, I think this gets back to there's, there's a difference between sort of coaching for performance and coaching for development. So the coaching for performance is more of that writing uh, you know, where, where I almost think of my Darumas in the back here behind me that where they write themselves up, we need to get them back up, get to the standard, get to the thing that was supposed to happen. And yeah, so it's, that's, there is more telling necessarily there, we need to correct something that's not performing how it is. And maybe there is some sort of urgent need to do that. However, we forget often about this um, coaching for development, which is allowing people to have the space for learning, a little bit of struggle, a little bit of uncertainty, not having the right answer immediately. And our habit is to jump in because we're so trained and conditioned to be always sort of going for the performance is giving that space for learning. So a few things on that, I, you know, I have a, a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old right now, and you know, we're working on a lot of math and they always come to me and want the answer for math. Well, if I only just give them the answer, which there is a right answer, like, uh, you know, that that's great. I shows that I'd know the answer, but I'm not really helping them learn the process of learning their way towards right. the answer. And so it's about how do we as leaders and people start to check that innate desire to sort of give the answer and help someone knowing that actually perhaps it's more helpful to support them in the process of learning than just giving them the answer as well. Yeah. And, and I think there's a time and a place. So let's say I was cooking, as I tend to do, and let's say I had a, a, a cast iron pan that had been in the oven, because sometimes I'll cook that way, and I'll put it up on the stovetop. If my wife, not being aware of how right. I was cooking, was starting to come closer, I would certainly tell, don't yeah, touch that pan. Right. It's super hot. That's a time for telling. That's a time <laughs> for telling. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, there, there are other, there, the more typical cases, I'll, I'll, I'll use a real example because I, I just wrote a blog post about this. Somebody from a healthcare setting reached out and had a question about Kaizen, continuous improvement ideas, mm -hmm. and whether they should offer incentives. And, and so I think she was very clearly looking for an, an answer. But I tried to ask some questions and shared, well, you know, there are some pros and cons. There are different schools of thought. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, trying to put it, I don't think it was annoying. I think it was well received. Putting it back in her camp of, well, you know, here are some things to consider. You know, you'll have to make, you and your organization will have to make a decision. 
Yeah. Well, something, and maybe a little more challenging if it's just like one email question, but something I found helpful is always to ask a question before giving your insight yourself. Because often when people ask a question, they've done some thinking about it. So if we can ask an open-ended question to say, well, what's what have you been thinking about this? Or what's one thing you've tried in your organization so far? Or what's a dynamic that's challenging for you about this? You learn a little bit more behind the question. And a lot of times people end up uh, really answering their own question, or at least partially answering their own question. So um, you know, that's great too. giving some then feedback from my experience here, are different things. How does this make you think about your own organization? And then asking, asking a question back. So that's a nice, that's a nice strategy as well. Yeah, it is. And, and again, like I'm, I, I, there's this direct parallel to what they teach in the motivational interviewing approach, where if somebody does sort of try to pin you down, like, well, you know, tell me, what you would do or tell me what you think I should do or, you know, that you, or, you know, you've been given permission to share. There's the caveat. I think similar to what you're saying, well, let me tell you what one organization did. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm going to put it back to you. Well, what do you think is appropriate and correct for yeah. you? Yeah, totally. And, You know, there are times, well, in healthcare in particular, but I I find this in other industries too, we're so conditioned to, you know, you and I both have spent a lot of time working in healthcare organizations. That's how we originally met over a decade ago. We're so conditioned for this under the pressure that everything is this emergency that has to be fixed now. And so we get habituated to this like sense of crisis where we all have to show up as the experts and like put out this fire now, because of course we don't want, I mean, something where your wife's going to get her hand burned or something's going to a negative, something's going to happen to the patient. Of course not. That is not the time for some open-ended inquiry questions. However, we end up in this state of seeing everything as a, something that has to have the answer right now. And that's where we miss out on that learning. And the, you know, we talk about the, the scientific method, the study part, the, the questions that come through studying, reflecting, that's where we actually learn and can make those adjustments for the future. And so where can we ask a few more questions that are not leading questions, not closed-ended questions, true open inquiry questions asked to help the other person think, and then feel comfortable with our discomfort in seeing people not have the answer immediately. Because that's on us. We get uncomfortable because we want to help people. And, you know, if you're like, oh, you don't have the answer right away, that's actually great. That means there's a little bit of thinking that's happening. And so where do we give those spaces a little bit more? And so that's those are all the parts about how do we need to break our telling habit uh, and start writing that balance and knowing when it's better to be telling and when does more open counsel have a greater impact? Yeah. And um, and this is, uh, I'm thinking of my wife again, this is a wife approved example when I've talked about questions or in different talks or, you know, um, the telling question, I don't think I've been guilty of it in a while, but the one that comes to mind because I was slow to learn is the question of, honey, why are your socks laying in the middle of the bedroom floor? Like yeah. she was not really prompting root cause analysis. <laughs> no. Well, so when we ask why questions, when they're not, there's a, when it's not really asking about causation, um, it can also imply judgment. So uh yeah, we've got to be careful about those why questions. They're super important and helpful to really understand cause and effect. But 
um, when asked to an individual or a group can feel, uh, feel judgmental at times when we haven't clearly defined a problem yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I realized, I mean, it was, you know, it was a, a way, it was a way of her to say, please pick up your socks and yeah. it would be better if you didn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I think these, so that's another, yeah. I have a, a favorite slide that I always share that it's a, it's a mashup between a wolf and a sheep. It's kind of a funny looking animal. And often we are kind of proud of ourselves that we're asking questions, but we're really telling in disguise. So just like the sheep, the wolf dressed up as a sheep, we have a lot of, we're basically advocating for a position or an idea or making a suggestion, yet we kind of put a question mark at the end of it. And it's, it, just as you said, it kind of lands sort of in a disingenuous way. So I, I really challenge everyone who's listening to pay attention to the quality of your questions. And if if you're really there to help someone think a little more deeply or take some ownership on something, ask them real open questions, usually starting with what or how. And if you have a suggestion or something you're going to say, label it or actually say like, I have an observation or I have an idea that might help you or put it as a statement, not as not framing it as a question. So I think that is what I say, one of the most impactful things we can all do as humans, as leaders, as team members, is to really be aware of the quality of our questions and uh, stop asking so many leading and prompting questions. Yeah, I actually have a, um, a free guide that I wanna offer your listeners too that I've just developed, give some tips around this. So if you go to my website, and I think you're gonna put it in the show notes too, which is kbjanderson.com, telling hyphen habit, or just on my landing page as well. So there's some suggestions there that we actually, spontaneously and unintentionally covered in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one other example that comes to mind is, you know, uh, opportunities to coach executives who are, let's say, going out to uh, a, a daily huddle or there's some sort of review or if here's the improvement we, work we've done in our department. And, uh, you know, the executive might realize, let's say they're thinking and they know not to do the telling of, I think that was the wrong thing to do, right? So they can kind of hold that in and not be judgmental and not be direct. But then it might, I've seen it slip out as a question of, well, why didn't you do such and such? And that really comes across with a sting. I mean, there's the, mm. the power differential and, it, you know, I, I think, you know, a question, what do you think of like the framing of, um, you know, can you tell me about some of the things you considered? Mm -hmm. It's a, a softer way of trying to draw out, like, help me understand, help me understand the thought process. Yep. Right. So putting it onto the process. So what are the steps that uh, led you and the team to take this, uh, this action? What were the other things you considered? What was the target you were trying to achieve? How did, what was the impact of this thing you did? What are you learning? Uh, so even just all those framing around the process, still getting down to understanding causation, but and at the same time, not in that sort of blaming sense. You and I have talked about, you know, how do we create cultures where there isn't the sense of blame and judgment so that people feel like they can bring forward their ideas. And so, and, you know, Mr. Yoshino actually talked about this um, on his, my favorite mistake on your podcast about how it's so important our, the way, the questions we're asking and the way we're responding really impacts people's uh, sense of whether or not they can they can really make bad news visible. Then can they talk about things? Uh, so, yep, 
when and when leaders come in unintentionally often saying the things like you just mentioned it's shutting people down and actually creating the culture they're not wanting to and so how do we start catching that for ourselves as well and i think that this is where i talk about like leading with intention it's like what what impact do you want to be having what's your role what's your purpose here and then what are the actions that are most in alignment with that and how do we get more aware and self aware of that uh, yeah and being being self-aware is, is key and, um, you know, having a coach who can observe us in those moments when we're not being yeah. self-aware, that can be really well, helpful. One of the most helpful things I found when I had a coach uh, back when I was a leader of a continuous improvement department in a large healthcare system, actually was working with a woman who's now a very good friend of mine, Margie Hegany, and she taught me this practice of have, she would sit in the back of the room and write down verbatim what I was saying and hand it back to me as evidence of my practice. And there was, and then I started to do that with the physician and um, administrative executives I was going to observe in the Gemba. And it was so helpful because we often think we're asking a lot more questions, not realizing <laughs> how many statements we're making, how many leading questions we have. And so that's a nice way to get feedback in it. And I like how that framing of observable evidence, it's not about judgment. It's just like, here's your practice. What are you going to do with that? Uh, so really can really accelerate your own uh, practice on that. You can record yourself too, but that's always, you know, you have to listen to yourself after. <laughs> or watch. Because let's say for me, I could use coaching sometimes on body language. It's not even mm. what I said. It may be facial mm. expression. Uh, you know, it might be tone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there could be benefits to, to having uh, a richer observation, uh, recording more so than just the words. But. I know. Absolutely. I remember there was a time and I felt terrible about this. I, I remember this is the same healthcare organization when I was uh, a leader of the continuous improvement department and we were going to Gemba and I didn't have a notepad that day. So I was writing down notes on my, on my phone. And yet I, I got feedback later. People thought I was just emailing and stuff and checked out. And so like, Oh my gosh, like that was so not my intention. I was like writing down good things to give kudos to like in our debrief session. And, uh, and so appearances matter. And so like, I was like, okay, in the future, I'm, if I don't have a notepad. I'm not, I'm not writing something on my phone because people assume that you're, that you're doing something else. And so it's really, uh, that, and I think that's, those are those unintentional things that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've tried to get ahead of that at times when I've been in that position of, of trying to forgive my telling, but here's, here's my example, I'm an example. That, um, of, of trying to get ahead of it by proactively, like if it's a small enough group of letting people know, just to let you know, I'm in, in a position where I'm going to be taking notes on my phone. I'm not texting. I'm not emailing. Yeah. I just want to let you know, this is how I'm taking notes. Absolutely. In labeling what you're doing, on all dimensions can be really helpful. So we often make assumptions people understand the motivation or the reasons behind what's happening. When I facilitate an event, when I'm coaching someone or even in a one-on-one -on -one session, I will say, I will be transparent and actually label what I'm doing. And it even in the beginning felt, felt weird, but it actually it models the behavior that you're wanting to have. So yeah, I'm taking notes. This is what I'm doing. I'm doing this so that I can give you feedback later or I have a clarifying question, or um, I'm going to, I see that you're really stuck here. I'm going to take my coaching hat on and I'm going to, I'm going to offer up some experience of mine. And now I'm going to ask you some questions around it. That goes back to the example you had. And so just 
labeling what you're doing and why you're doing it doesn't leave it up for interpretation and also shows people sort of the what better could look like from a behavior standpoint. So there are there are two other questions I might come back to sort of you know unpacking um, or you know kind of uh, follow up questions on on some of the things you shared about breaking the telling habit. Um, so in the name of transparency, and because we were talking about typing on phones, typing on phones is quiet. And I'm going to catch Katie by surprise here, but um, she had done an and on cord pull. So I figured let's give people a little behind the scenes making the sausage that is uh, a podcast. So Katie kindly uh, put into the chat, she typed, we can hear you when you type, FYI, which is true, because I, and, and, and I know that. So thank you for pulling the and on cord. Um, I, I do um, have the ability to edit that out in mm. my audio track. So if I'm typing while you're talking, but I do apologize if that's a distraction for you or other guests. So this is something to, to kind of help coach me through or at least help think mm. through for a minute. Oh, I was less worried about me and more worried about the audio experience of everyone who is listening to us. Thank you for listening, by the way. <laughs> yes. So. And, um, you know, so the, the, at least the, you know, the ability to go and edit that out, um, will shield cause you know, the, the podcast listeners might say, well, wait a minute. No, I wasn't hearing typing. It is harder to edit out, um, on YouTube because it is a single audio track in the mm -hmm. video. So unless I process the audio, remove that little bit of typing and then overlay that audio on type of the video, um, mm. but, uh, I, there, there are f by many multiples, like 20 X more, podcast listeners than there are YouTube mm. video viewers. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things, but I've been thinking about a countermeasure and I, 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 at some point, maybe I'll have to experiment with this or maybe listeners can let me know what they think. Um, it, Cause you know, I've got this Mac keyboard. It's a little bit clacky external keyboard. Um, I could, I've got an iPad and I bet, so I bet, well, there's two different countermeasures. Like there's the high tech, Sorry to get sidetracked on this, yeah. but I, if I can use the iPad as a keyboard, that would be a lot more quiet. Or you know what? Maybe pen and paper. I used oh. to take. I <laughs> get back to those verbatim notes. Well, and we'll talk about this on a on a future episode. But I've gotten very interested in audio quality and um, all of these things that I didn't know about as well as I've gone through this last uh, year of producing an audio book and more. So we'll dive into that in a future episode. Um, but I've gotten, I've learned a lot about audio quality and audio input. And in the radio or podcast business, that's called a teaser and, yes. uh, or a tease. And we'll talk about that. And this to further pique people's interest, we're going to talk about that in an episode of my favorite mistake, right? Ooh, yes, I have a new favorite mistake, and I can't wait to unpack it with you, Mark. <laughs> There's no one else that I would enjoy more. <laughs> to talk about this with than you. <laughs> well, I look forward to, um, yeah. to doing that and sharing yeah. that with folks. So, well, thank you for indulging me in that little detour thing about typing and uh, countermeasures and problem solving. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll figure that out, but um, I, transition I, to, you know, our, the, the thing that was make, giving me a dance of joy around problem solving and understanding inputs to data and, and other things. So, do you want to frame this or do you want me to dive right in? I'll let you dive in. I'm going to right. hold these other questions yeah. if we have time later about going back to telling. Um, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. Great. Go well, that it. was a, that was, I was just doing, 
exactly what I, you know, that was not an open inquiry question. I was giving Mark a uh, <laughs> multiple choice. Would you want to do this or this? Which was fine because there really were two options here. But then if you were pro- looking to problem solve, that would not be that. So, um, but here I, I've been a long advocate. I'm holding up for those of you on YouTube uh, of Mark's Measures of Success book and have recommended it to, especially many, I'm involved in a lot of healthcare organizations. In fact, was on a board of of one hospital and now a small nonprofit. And and in my organizations I work for too, the use the process behavior charts because, and it is what you talk about in the book, always responding to like little blips in the system when it's actually normal, normal variation. And so I w- I've been thrilled the last year, or maybe a little bit more, that the executive director of the nonprofit, on, who's the board that I'm on, the Mother's Milk Bank, they he uses the process behavior charts, and it has made our conversations that much better because we're not responding to little blips. And actually, you know, he had his process behavior charts up about last month, the last two months' performance, and everything was in normal bands. And then there was one thing that was a definite outlier, and he said. Uh, this is really exciting. We, you know, for X, Y, and Z, but now I know I can dive in. I really want to understand what were the factors that might have caused this to be outside the bands. Whereas before we just say, oh, that's great. You know, we're it's performing as expected blips up and down, but we're not reacting or we're not spending time focused on things that are actually normal um, rather than outliers to really address them. So I want to say thank you, Mark, for, for your book and your work, because it's made it easier for me to advocate for those leaders that I work with to be more effective in how they use and respond to data. Well, thank you. And uh, when Katie told me about this the other day, I, in my head, I was doing a happy dance. I'm not a, you know, a literal happy dance person, but I try not to dance. I'm not, no, it's not, okay. a, it's not, it's not good for me. Come, come to Japan though. And when we go to karaoke, <laughs> you may dance a little. I'll definitely sing and that's not good either, but you have to. <laughs> Um, so the outlier that you described, was that an outlier in a good direction? It was. It was in a good uh, good direction. It was looking at, yeah, that was some, there was a reason that had much higher performance um, than past months and was really curious on what the reasons were for that. And, and did they figure it out to a point where then they could make that repeatable and try to keep performance where it, just- it was? It was just recent performance. So now between now and our next meeting, he's going to be diving into doing some uh, understanding of the factors that impacted that. But yes, it's, and yes, it's going to help inform how do we standardize or how do, what are the factors we can control to repeat this for better performance? Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes people, um, there's there's maybe a bit of a misunderstanding where you know people say well we we've done the charts the charts are technically correct the math is right but it's really it's a tool to help us understand when we should be investigating cause and effect yeah. relationships you know we we can call it a root cause whether it's in a negative bad direction or in a positive direction but to your point again Katie to recap it for folks not trying to explain every small typical routine up and down in the variation, but channeling those efforts into a time when we have an outlier, AKA a signal that tells us, Oh, there is something worth investigating here. Yes. And also like from a board member's perspective or an executive team, like 
how do we put our energy towards the things that are actually going to potentially impact things in, well, I guess positive or negative, but putting our, our, our problem solving energy, the things that are truly possible causes rather than normal variation, which is just, we're doing business as usual. So uh, yeah, it's, it's been really, really helpful. And I, I, I did, well, I did, I was sitting here and I did, I did do a little dance of joy for myself <laughs> because it makes our, our, our conversations that much more meaningful. And so thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And I mean, it's just great to hear those applications because I think, you know, without process behavior charts, you and other board members might be in a situation where I don't know, I'm making it up. They review 10 key metrics and five of them are worse than last time. And five of them are better. And is there really an explanation and how you, you just, your energy oh. gets so diluted oh across God. all of that. <laughs> the hospital whose quality board I was on for years, that was a challenge of ours. And like it, they did start implementing process behavior charts in the last year that I was, was there. And it was helpful. It like, it, it cut down on the noise of our discussion too, or like sending the executives off on some, I guess, you know, not really worthy exercise to report back to us when it's really, you know, not going to have anything meaningful. So it's, how can we ask more effective questions in those situations too? And then how do we use data to help us understand what questions we should be asking and where we should be focusing our energy of asking questions. Yeah, because the chart will tell you there's a signal. Something right. changed significantly in the system. The chart doesn't tell us what changed. So going right. to Gemba, asking yeah. questions, our knowledge of the system yeah. is really important. The chart doesn't yeah. manage the business for us. It's no. a tool. It's, it's a signal to us. It's almost yeah. like pulling the end on or, you know, saying, yep, this is, this is something worthy of looking into. Well, and I, I told Katie the other day, you know, it's just going to turn into, I've, I've got an example of, you know, seeing essentially a signal on a process behavior chart. And one of those charts I look at is um, the number of downloads, listens for the My Favorite Mistake podcast, because I've been trying to grow that podcast. I think it's really good. I'm trying to people like Katie and Asao Yoshino in, uh, in front of or in, into more ears. And, um, you know, the, the podcast host generates charts automatically. Now, I look at them as basically a run chart, but I'm, I'm trying to look at it like it were a formal process behavior chart of looking mm -hmm. for fluctuation. Um, you know, there, there was one big, huge spike in listenership kind of early on, and I call that the Billy Taylor effect yeah. because that was... <laughs> That was the episode when Billy was the guest and he's amazing. And I think he has a lot of followers. And so a ton of people listened, but that was truly a special cause as we say in process behavior chart land, because a lot of those people didn't uh, subscribe and keep listening um, to other episodes. But I saw, you know, in the, a couple of recent episodes, I'm like the number of listens in the first three to five days was about half of what it typically was. So like, it really did seem like a statistical signal worth investigating. And so then you've got to piece together the cause and effect. And I'm trying to think, well, what changed? So one thing that changed was that I had gotten some advice that said, you know, when you release your episodes, don't just always use the same generic podcast image. Create a custom version of the image for each episode so I can feature my guest's face and not just the drawing of my face. And so I implemented that change. 
And the hypothesis that was suggested to me was that you will increase listenership by doing these custom images. So I put the custom images in and then listenership fell by half. I thought, wait a minute, did I somehow, did I confuse my audience who are used to seeing a certain image and visual? And I even went back to the person who'd suggested this and he's like, oh, I've never heard of listenership dropping by half after doing this. And, and so I'm trying to piece together cause and effect. It didn't seem like a reasonable hypothesis, but it was all I had. Well, then I get an email from the podcast host saying, oh, we've had some system error and we just put an update in. And there was this one week period where listens weren't being counted accurately. We've now refreshed the system. And if you go back and sure enough, I went back and those numbers were not cut in half. It was a data glitch. It was not cause and effect having anything to do with the change I made to the images. So I thought there was, at least for me, a, a real lesson there of be, be careful about those connections between cause and effect. Mm. Yes. And don't make assumptions, right? So that was it's great. It's a great story and it's a great, nice connection between all the things we've been talking about here today. But, you know, at least, you know, to my credit, I was puzzled. Like, thankfully, it wasn't some situation where, like, who was I going to get upset at? Maybe other than asking myself, <laughs> why'd you make that change? I mean, so, but I could see where people could fall into a situation where um, there, there's some misleading assumption about cause and effect, and then somebody might react yeah. badly. And then there's sort of double level layers of apology that might need to be given. I'm apologizing well, for making an I assumption. And... Yeah, and, re and and listenership is not down; it's up. So that's great. Um, so uh, let's see. So we're going to talk about. I want. I do want to come back. I think we have time. Back to the telling topic, and then we'll talk about mm -hmm. the leading to learn accelerator. Um, and you can learn more about that. Link will be in the show notes. KBJAnderson.com/slash/accelerator. Or um, you, you made reference. I, I was going to ask you to elaborate. You know, when you talk about this balance. The time and a place for leaders to tell. It sounded like you were saying, you know, that sometimes strategic direction has to be told, but then the detail of how are we going to get there can be drawn out by asking. Is that a fair summary of what you were saying? Yeah, that's a, that's a great summary. So in uh, in the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, I talk about this this framework of the, the real essence of leadership is threefold. And I call this now the leading to learn uh, framework is it's about setting the direction and providing support and developing ourselves. And the developing ourselves is because we have to get better at knowing when and how to set the direction and then when and how to provide support and develop other people. So the telling is a leadership role is about what is the expectation? What's the challenge we need to move towards? What's the direction we need to be going in? And that doesn't mean that you don't have inputs and you don't ask questions to get to make an informed decision. Yet the leader's role is to ultimately make the decision on where to go. So ask, ask questions, get the input you need, understand context, current condition, you know, capabilities, and then, and then decide where to go. And that is to create that alignment of energy, focus, and, you know, sort of we're not like scattering to the wind. However, if then the leader is saying, you know, this is where we're going to go. This is how we're going to go. It's exactly what you're going to do. And no other ideas are welcome. Well, you may get some compliance, but you're really not going to get followership. You're not going to get the engagement. And importantly, you may not know the best way to get there because you're not as connected to the work. And so 
really then it's about setting that direction. And then how do you create a capable, confident, um, you know, group of people who, who use like leverage their creativity, their problem solving, their knowledge of the work and to give ownership for solving problems at, at different levels of the system. And, and of course, to create the systems and structures that allow for collaboration and for learning and experimentation and communication, of course, all of that. But that's how we really create a learning organization that's people-centered and that's also striving towards achieving the value and the organizational outcomes that are needed at the same time. And so uh, nice summary there. It's like setting the direction is the telling, providing the support is the asking more questions and helping people learn. I do want to put a caveat in there too, though, that leadership is not just then about supporting people is not just only asking open questions. So when somebody's new or doesn't know how to do something, there is a time to be more directive and more teaching, so more instructional, but it's with the purpose of learning and not a purpose of taking over the responsibility or the ownership of that like problem or situation. So it's about navigating what I call these leadership and coaching continuums of when to be directive, when to be more telling, when to be more open and asking. And it's all about your intention about how to help the other person become more capable and confident to solve the problem they, they have responsibility for. So. Yeah. And you, you sort of answered the other question I was going to ask of, you know, scenarios where being in the other extreme, being out of balance, only asking questions sometimes oh, yeah. can be annoying. Oh, totally. And <laughs> I see this, uh, it's like the, then we go the other way. So it's not, this is a balance. We need to know when to ask and when to tell. We don't want to always be asking, nor do we always want to be telling. Right. And so when I've seen the opposite, that, that scenario just were laying out happen when, especially when people are learning how to be a coach or how to be a leader who lead with humility, then, then they think, oh, leadership or coaching is only asking questions. And then people are like, I need you to tell me where we need to go. Or I actually don't know how, I don't know how to do this thing. And then, well, what do you think? And you're like, no, I, I really need some help here. Help in a different way. And so it's, I think the art of leadership and the art of coaching is knowing how to navigate these continuums in service of the other person. So, yeah. yeah. It seems like there's a difference between something that's just strictly skills or knowledge based versus something where we're on the frontier of having to figure it out ourselves. Like I think of like one coach I've had in my life was a tennis coach, um, taking tennis lessons as a kid or playing on a team in high school. And I'm just trying to think of a scenario like if let's say uh, someone handed me a tennis racket the first time and, and I were to ask reasonable question, well, how should I hold the racket? I wouldn't want the coach to say, well, how do you think you should hold it? No. What experiment will you try next? But like a coach would probably say, if I remember right, you know, well, here are two different ways you could hold the racket. Like there are a couple of different grips. There's not just one way to do it. Why don't you try them and see which feels better to you? Like that might be a good middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. Or there might be like your teach like there we have standard work and we're teaching the standard work. And if you have suggestions to improve it, let's let's work on that. You know, it's the same. Yes. So we tend to be more directive in when someone's more novice and the situation or the thing is is like less complex. So pretty simple. However, as we get to more complex problems or complex situations, we need greater thinking. And as people get more uh advanced and more expert in their skill, that's where then more open counsel is happening. So 
you know, as you're getting to be a more expert tennis player, you know, you're learning more strategy and like, well, what, you know, how do you think you should have responded to that, that serve opposed to these are like, you're learning like the, you know, the things that the ways to respond and then you have to be able to figure out how to same with like surgical trainees. You're not going to say, well, how do you think you make that first incision? But later then the, you know, the training, the head physician is not, is going to say, you know, on a complex, well, how would you think about approaching this case and hear their thinking first and then might do some teaching if that's needed. And so when we hear someone's thinking first, we know where they are on that continuum and do they need us to be more directive, some teaching or continuing to ask questions is getting them to the answer themselves. So we're the guide. That's what we own. Yeah. So there's um, an opportunity, you know, I'm sure for people, um, if they sign up for the Learning to Lead Accelerator, one is to, you know, the content and, and the information, but then as the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, I think it's a reasonable hypothesis that, that Katie, you are, you're modeling, but through, through the, the structure of this program, you're modeling some of those behaviors and guiding them and coaching them in a way you hope they might coach others. Absolutely. So I uh... Accelerate has been so much fun for me to create and also engage with people around the world on. I led the first open enrollment accelerator as an experiment in the winter, or if you're in Northern Hemisphere winter, in February and March of this um, this year, 2021. I've done some custom engagements with uh, with other companies, including the Port of Seattle, and I'm about to launch the next open enrollment in October here. And it's a nice combination of using Mr. Yoshino's stories with, that are within Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn as, as sort of the learning experience. And then I have recorded sort of mini workshops and modules where I dive into these topics. And then we have opportunities for group coaching where I'm, you know, I'm there facilitating, there's reflection, and I'm modeling the way. I do exactly what I just talked about where I label what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. We dive into these topics. We have practice. And so we also create community with leaders from around leaders and learners around the world, learning with and from each other, like this chain of learning that Mr. Yoshino and I talk about. So it's nice that it's a, it's both, it's a combination of both self-paced learning as well as these live interactive components as well. Yeah. So it's a nice, when you talk about people participating from around the world, the hybrid model probably helps with that pretty significantly. And then live interaction, you, you do your best to find a time that everyone can take part yeah. in or times. Well, I did. So the first time I ran this, uh, I only had one live coaching time and this time I'm doing two so that it gives people more opportunities to have a, a time that works in their time zone. And also the sessions are recorded and can be viewed later. In fact, there's a great case study of um, a wonderful man and leader who uh, named Steve Watts, who I've worked with for years. And he was in the accelerator this last cohort to the COO of a company called Walters and Wolf here in California. And he, he'd sort of listened remotely to half of them because he couldn't join them and other times joined live. And he even said he kind of liked just listening to the sessions, even when he couldn't go live because he could go on a walk and think and go back and reflect. And so it gave him um, some space for that. So you don't have to always be there live and there's still a way you can be part of that community. So yeah, if you go on the, the Excel, accelerator page, there's links to um, Steve talking about the program and his experience and other people as well. And tying back to the topic that we've been talking about here, asking questions, that has been one of the most, um, I guess, important pieces of feedback or transformation people have experienced through the program. They really feel they've gotten much more effective 
of asking questions to others and asking questions of themselves and through this process of reflection and learning. And so some things that they weren't expecting were they were expecting, of course, improvement in a professional way, but also experienced that they were reconnected with a sense of purpose for themselves and how they were showing up in their personal lives as well. And I think that's so true that we don't, you know, we are whole people and uh, we can, you know, the things that we learn at work will also cross over to our personal lives and vice versa. And and I've seen some of those endorsements or reflections that people have shared. You mentioned chief operating officer, um, but, you know, who is this geared toward leaders at all levels? Really leaders at all levels, you know, from, and and in the last programs, we've had a mix of people, independent contributors, maybe a bit earlier in their career, um, continuous improvement practitioners and continuous improvement leaders say, you know, who own responsibility for large teams new managers, so making that transition from independent contributor to a manager or director, and then senior leaders from vice presidents, presidents, and C-suite executives. And and we had the 10 different countries represented last time and already having a global representation for the cohort that's coming together here. What I love is that we all can be learners and leaders together. And so just like, you know, we learned from Mr. Yoshino's stories in, in the book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, there are things he's learning at the beginning of his career and then all the way to the end. And yet these experiences we have can be meaningful no matter what stage that we are. And that uh, and seeing that people almost like your level or your role, maybe it changes your, your, your perspective a little bit or the problems and challenges you're having. But ultimately, it goes back to sort of our humanness that we all have this sort of innate desire to tell because we want to be helpful. We need to be figure out how do we show up more effectively to help other people, no matter what our level, I'm using air quotes, level is in the organization or what our sphere of influence is. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. You, you, you verbalize that because uh, if people can hear my typing, they can't hear air quotes. <laughs> so yeah. Good to... <laughs> well, you're on Quote YouTube, you can see my air quotes. So yeah. <laughs> um, the the whole of uh, the whole of me part of my whole person I like to tell uh, dorky jokes sometimes and every time we get into the topic of questions here here's the, my favorite question I'm gonna just throw it at you right here do you like open ended questions <laughs> I do like open ended <laughs> questions yes the flip side of that joke is um, tell me about your favorite closed ended question. <laughs> I don't think that one's as funny as the. So, do you like? Do you like? Sometimes at a lean conference or something, you really catch someone off guard. It's like, so, do you like open-ended questions? You're like, uh, yeah, yep, I do. I and they're like, and and fighting with that. Yeah, go ahead. And 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 they're also thinking, Mark, you're very bad at those open-ended questions. Yes, I think they get the joke. Yeah, no, it's uh, (laughs) (laughs) just think if you. Well, I mean, oh my gosh, if you if you listen to the radio even just like are all these leading questions one and like all these closed-ended questions so if you could just if people ask you closed-ended questions just answer yes or no and quickly they'll <laughs> see that there's there's not a lot of dialogue that happens from them <laughs> but i don't know like, also if people ask you know uh, multiple choice or like you know questions you can just feel the box coming around you you're like my answer is none of those three <laughs> options like how about this or this or this and you're like None, none of the above. Like, and so we're doing the thinking out loud and we're unintentionally putting like boundaries. You're not seeing my, I'm putting a little box, my hand with a little box. <laughs> boundaries on, on, on thinking. So be open. 
What yes. you were doing there looked like a different dance, more like a Madonna dance yeah, instead it's almost of a like happy a, yeah. dance. Vogue. That's what you're almost. Yeah. And then here I can doing. do this. I can do it. Go to, the, go walk... to the video. You can see me do can, the, the can, Vogue. Can, can, can you walk like an Egyptian? <laughs> oh, yeah, this might be taking it too far. I'm but aging my dating myself with an 80s reference. I can yeah, edit that. But out. You and I are of of, of the same <laughs> similar years, so yeah. All right. Well, Katie, th- sorry, you caught me at the end of the day here, so I get a little silly or slap happy. Thank you for uh, humor. <laughs> You're being a good sport. Oh, always. If can't, a little <laughs> laughter goes a long way. So I hope you are all laughing as well, along with us. <laughs> and if you can get a, if if I can generate a little laughter, that's a victory. <laughs> Some people generate a lot. Laughing at you, laughing with you, Mark. So yeah, jokes on me. Yeah, but um, Katie, thank you. Uh, This has been fun again. uh, Katie Anderson is our guest today. You can find her website kbjanderson.com. The book, if you don't know about it, you should go and learn more. And if you haven't read it, please read or listen to it. Learning to lead, leading to learn. Lessons from Toyota leader Asao Yoshino on a lifetime of continuous learning. And Katie's holding that up in the video. And uh, you can learn more about the Learning to Lead Accelerator, kbjanderson.com slash accelerator. And also in the show notes, as a reminder, there's um, Katie's free guide on breaking the telling habit. You can find that link as well. So Katie, thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for um, sharing some thoughts and stories and tips here today. It was fun. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for talking about one of my favorite topics and Asking some great questions, Mark. You're welcome. And some bad ones too, but. (laughs) (laughs) Time for the debrief. We'll hear about which were the bad ones. All right. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Looking forward to connecting with you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.